coming to you from the mountains and the plains. The only conservative voices brave enough to push back. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Altman. That's what the Second Amendment was designed to do. If you're going to do something to, to nullify or take away my rights under the Constitution, come get it. Max McGuire. When you look at politicians on the left, um, they need to convince people that they are victims. A resistance to the resistance. And now your hosts, Joe Altman and Max McGuire. And welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And this is Joe Altman. And we're going to jump right into it because we want to get as much in as possible. We do have on the phone with us Representative Lauren Boebert. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, so so the schedule's a little hectic there. You had a lot of votes. You're on your way to a meeting, so we might not have as much time as we want. Um, but thank you for giving us what time you have available. And I know Joe has a couple things he wants to talk about, so I'll hand it over to Joe. Yeah. Sure. So, Lauren, thanks for thanks for coming on. I know your schedule is is crazy, and I sent over a couple things, just a couple questions that we had, but um, a couple of them just around the packing, what your thoughts are on, on packing of the Supreme Court. Maybe you can give us your thoughts on that to start with. Uh, this is just another power grab by the left. I, I mean, we've, we've heard Joe Biden testify in the Senate of how uh, packing the Supreme Court uh, is bad and, and uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think he really just, uh, in, instead of exposing that corruption, he took it on as a motto. Um, I thought we weren't going to get any malarkey with this guy, but that's all it seemed to have been. Uh, we have more than 50 executive orders, and he's ruling this country by executive order. We just had a pullover. He was passing by us on the streets here in Washington, D.C., and all were hailing the king as he passed by. Uh, but, you know, it, it, packing the Supreme Court, where they Democrats already have the House. They have the Senate. They have the presidency. They have the fourth branch of government, the bureaucrats, and uh, and now they want the Supreme Court. The only reason they want it uh, is for ultimate power, ultimate control. And uh, it's interesting that they came up with the number four because that's the number that they would need to make sure they had a majority in the Supreme Court. Yeah. So it's, what, what's interesting about that is that they they're not even hiding it anymore, right? They're not even hi hiding the fact oh, that they're they're communist or socialist uh, ideologies. And and as you get further down the rabbit hole, I feel like they're attacking us from every angle. And uh, you know, how do you? I mean, are you having conversations with other people, other Democrats in the in the House? And you know, what kind of position are they taking? Are they taking a position that we have to just stand with the uh, Democrats, or is there any sensibility on that side of? of the aisle at all no <laughs> all right well there's not much sensibility at all uh you know we hear all of these uh calls for unity and bipartisan effort there is nothing bipartisan about the house of representatives right now uh these democrat bills get crammed uh crammed on us in the, in the house and we are forced to vote on them and republicans are demonized when we vote against spending millions of dollars and putting us further into debt or or voting on sesame seeds while we have a humanitarian crisis at the border that they will not even acknowledge. Uh, they're saying that Republicans are participating in, in political theater by going to the border and 
exposing what's going on and, and taking photos of what's happening there when the press isn't even allowed in. The media is not even allowed in because of the Harris-Biden regime. And, uh, and then uh, speaking of, Vice President Harris won't even show up to the border to see what's going on. So now Republicans are going down there and taking it upon themselves to expose what's happening to the American people. And Democrats are saying that that's political theater. Are you kidding me? Uh, so all of this stuff, is it's not going through committee. It's coming straight to the floor, and we're forced to vote on it. And uh, we, we've actually kind of jacked up the schedule purposefully here in Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives. And we are making sure that Every member has to actually vote on this nonsense that they are trying to pass by unanimous consent. Now, can you believe this? There is significant legislation that passes the House of Representatives without a single member voting on it. So we are making sure that these suspension bills are, are not passed without members voting on them. And so it's taking a long time, seven, eight hours. Uh, at, at times to vote on them all. But that's exactly what we are sent here to do is to vote on behalf of the American people. Well, I think one so you mentioned bipartisanship. You mentioned bipartisanship. When you look at mm -hmm. you weren't there, but when you look at 2016, Republicans had 241 seats in the House. Democrats only had 194. And yet Democrats were able to hold things hostage and force the Republicans to pass yeah. their agenda items. Right. So that's how you, they killed the border wall. Right. They got more funding for right. food stamps. Across the board, Democrats were able to hold together. What I see now is I see Democrats have a much smaller majority. I think Nancy Pelosi is now down to a six-vote majority. So two. if four people def two, defect, two-vote um, two majority, two-vote yeah. majority. So yeah. so if a couple if a couple defect, then it's done. But we don't see Republicans standing firm the way that Democrats did. Um, what's what's going on with that? Uh, you know, that's that's a, a question that I think will will always uh, cross my mind is, is what's going on with that. But that's why I'm here, because I was frustrated at uh, Republicans not holding the line and appeasing the Democrats in their voting um, in, in, think, in, in hopes that it actually gets them somewhere. It, it doesn't. It hurts the American people when we don't stay unified on the policies that we were elected to uphold and secure and and uh, and push forward with. Uh, you know, there there is some hope in a bipartisan effort that I am pushing forward next week. Uh, so I have a bill. Uh, it is the Protecting America's Energy Jobs Act. And Congressman Chip Roy is working with me to discharge my bill into a rule. This will reverse Joe Biden's executive orders on the Keystone XL pipeline, his uh, oil and gas lease. Uh, ban and and uh, the uh, fracking ban and this bill will actually do so much for America. Uh, we are targeting Democrats who are in energy rich districts uh, to get on board with us and I do believe that there are some who understand the value of fossil fuels in America and not outsourcing our energy production to our enemies or having uh, countries uh, where they have children mining with their bare hands. I mean, this is taking place in the Congo, and and they see um, that their uh, that their human labor laws are not quite what ours are, and that people are suffering uh, through this. So I do believe that we'll be able to get some to sign on with us, and we will be able to get this to pass the House of Representatives. Um, so we're waiting on that um, to take place, and and hopefully we'll see that next week. Well, it it seems it seems as if. 
Um, and, and we're actually going to promote that, by the way. So I just had him write it down so we can actually push out um, that bill specifically. And we can actually do a lot with Conservative Daily to put some pressure on the House and the Senate as well. But it, it's, awesome. it, it seems to me that you're, you, you run from fight to fight or fire to fire, and they're building all these little fires around you. And then they're creating chaos inside of our streets and the propaganda. And obviously, you, you heard what happened with CNN, right? And that they said that they were basically lying. We're, we're a bunch of liars. And and we we lied to to get this geriatric guy um, elected. Yes. You know. Yes. Uh, you you said that they have the House and they have the Senate, so they only have that the Senate if they um, if it's a if it's a fifty fifty tie. Are, are are you seeing that this this bipartisanship that you may be able to build on at least one bill, one piece of legislation in the House will carry through and have a chance of passing um, the Senate and. Uh, being signed by um, Biden? Well, Joe, we have the uh, we have the filibuster in the Senate. So that really does us a lot of good right now. Right. So we don't need that 50-50 um, tiebreaker vote. We um, we need uh, 60 to, to actually get something passed there in the Senate. Uh, so as long as we keep that, as long as Cinema and Manchin uh, hold, hold to their words and, and don't uh, get rid of the filibuster, we actually do have some hope there in the Senate. Uh, so we, we saw the budget reconciliation pass because that only required a 50-50 vote. Um, right. It didn't require the filibuster because it wasn't a law. It's just reconciling the budget. Uh, and so, but this is why we need to expose to the American people uh, what Democrat policies do and the consequences of electing Democrats. Now, I've been all throughout my district and uh, I've been in all sorts of meetings with uh, school superintendents and energy workers and energy companies and commissioners and mayors uh, and folks from both sides of the aisle. And in every meeting that I attend, I hear these policies are coming from the state legislature and they have negative impacts on our communities, our industries, and, and everything that we are working on. Will the federal government please give us some money to help us with these unfunded mandates by the state? And so what I'm working on is to expose to the voters how these policies are coming from a from the state legislature have uh, negative impacts on the communities and what they are actually doing uh, to our communities. No matter no matter what the intention of the bill is, we'll just go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll say that the state legislature just wants the very best for Colorado and they have the best of intentions and they just uh, love the rural and urban communities equally. We'll just say that. And. Uh, it wouldn't be true, but it wouldn't be true. We'll just say it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but when, when you actually uh, implement these policies, they have real wor world uh, impacts that are not good for the communities, especially in rural Colorado. And so to begin to expose that um, to the voters and say, look, you may think that you're voting uh, compassionately when you vote for Democrats, but these are the impacts their policies are having on you and your family and and your coworkers and your employers. Yeah. So, I, I, and and frankly, we're, we're at a material disadvantage because you have the media on one side that's just standing uh, against the American people. You have big tech, which is silencing and censoring people. Uh, for standing up and, and uh, speaking truth. We have your loud voice, right? Your voice that is very, very, it, it's a courageous voice. And so it becomes very difficult to get all of this stuff across to the American people when it's not, um, th there's not a, uh, it's a, it's almost like a vacuum, right? It feels like there, that there's no megaphone that is being given 
and that we're at a, at a disadvantage. So uh, now you are loud, but then they demonize you. So, so, and I know that we have Marjorie Taylor Greene that does the same thing. She stands up. You guys, are probably two of the most courageous, most boisterous voices out there. What are you seeing that the that people can do in order to become that megaphone? What are you seeing that that you know, like Max and I can do? And I know that I'm probably a little bit more boisterous than most. <laughs> but what can what can other people do? Just people in the community. What can they do? And um, they have to get involved. Um, get involved. Uh, with you guys and, uh, and and let your voices be heard. You know, I, I have a loud voice for now, um, but what happens when when they censor me just like they did James O'Keefe? What happens when they when they suspend me just like they did the president of the United States of America, the most powerful man in the world? I mean, what what are what what is my voice going to be when that day comes? And this is something that we have to continue to push against, continue to expose. Uh, the media, they are already losing their ratings. We have to hold big tech accountable. We have to hold these social media firms accountable. And, uh, and we do that by banding together and continue to work locally in our communities and, uh, expose what's going on and, and continue to speak the truth to folks. And, uh, I'm, I'm actually three minutes late for my meeting now. So I have to run in here if that's okay. Um, right. I would love to get back on and talk to you guys some more. And, uh, and and talk to you often. And and absolutely, Lauren, I just want to say thank you. God bless you. And you are a fearless leader. And we you were desperately needed. But one of the last things I want to say to you is because of all of the things that you do in Congress, I want the listeners to understand this one thing. And that is you always come back to the community and you ask them, what do you want? That's what representative government is supposed to be about. So I just want to say thank you to you. And we'll reach back out to you. Yes, it's my honor to do that. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you guys. All right. God bless you. So that was Representative Lauren Boebert. And I have to tell you, she uh, she's amazing. She she doesn't stop standing up. She doesn't stop fighting. She she literally goes from, you know, meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. She is, you know, you hear a lot about what people in Congress do and how much time they spend serving the people. And I don't think I've seen someone work as hard as she has worked um, to preserve the rights that we have as Americans. So it's uh, it's amazing to watch. Yeah, it is. And and obviously, um, she's very busy. They had extra votes in Congress today, so they held her up longer than she expected to. So her whole D.C. schedule, she's not in Colorado, she's in D.C. Um, sometimes members of Congress fly home on Friday, so there was some up in the air whether she'd be in studio or not. But Pelosi wants to push through a lot of BS, so she had to stay and vote because if she doesn't vote, then they're going to accuse her of not actually doing her job, right? So we didn't have her on for as long as we would have hoped, but we are going to have her on in the future for a longer, more in-depth discussion about important issues and topics. Um, one of the things I hope is she, she mentioned big tech censorship. I think one of the biggest shames on the last Congress even the Congress before, all the Congresses during Trump, is that we knew that big tech was doing this. We knew right. that they were coordinating with the Democrat Party, coordinating with one another, coordinating with PACs, with special interest groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center to go after people for political purposes. And Trump was was telling them, hey, you got to go after this. And the Republicans refused to do it. So um, I, I love uh, Congresswoman Boebert because she is not that typical po Republican politician. She is not someone who says one thing and does the other. She's keeping her promises and she's fighting for the things that she said she would fight for. So I'm hopeful 
I got to ask that question about why aren't Republicans holding the line? I hope that they start holding the line on some of these topics because Democrats just a couple of years ago had a much smaller minority in the House and they were able to put pressure and get things done. Right. We had no border wall funding because Democrats in the first two years of Trump's administration blocked it. They blocked it, even though they didn't have the votes. So I'm hopeful that uh, Congresswoman Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, others in Congress, these fiery new class of yeah. conservatives, that they can they can hold the line on these issues and get, get them across me, the finish get line. Get me Marjorie Taylor Greene. I want her on the show. So we'll get her as well. We'll get that done in the next week or so. We have a star-studded uh, um, uh, number of interviews that we're doing next week, by the way. Um, it's going to be a pretty interesting week. And I want to make this announcement, Max, if we can as well. And that is um, on May 27th, we're going to have a one, a series that we're starting here in Colorado, a series of uh, rallies. And this rally, um, we'll be able to have up to 30,000 people attend it. I'll be able to give you more information on it, but uh, that will be May 27th. Put that in your calendar. If you're out of town, um, we will have this event here. And we'll have people like Mike Lindell that'll be speaking there and other influencers from around the country where it's a it's a a rally of one voice. We, we always want to wait until, you know, President Trump decides to say, hey, I'm going to go have a rally here. Um, we're going to create a rally environment. We're going to create an environment where the American people, they, they cannot ignore the fact that the American people are still fired up and they're still going to push towards accountability um, in the in the elections and make sure that we get rid of some of these uh, voting systems that have integrity issues that are that are compromised. Uh, but that will be May 27th, Denver, Colorado. Put it on your calendar. So I, I was having a hard time during that interview because uh, people are are very enthusiastic about the fact that my beard is gone. Anyone listening to the audio version of the podcast, they don't know that I, I am now clean shaven. I have no beard. Um, so reading through the comments of people talking about me being beardless, the best one I've seen so far is, can someone tell Max Jr. to go get his dad? The podcast has started already. Um, <laughs> Way to go, Peter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, so Gary uh, sent a message saying that you clean up well. Yeah. Oh, who sent that? Our friend Gammy Sparkles. She's like, wow, Max, oh, you really Gammy clean Sparkle. up well. Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> I made a joke yesterday that Josh had presumed me and Joe's gender and someone in the comment section said you can't get Max's gender wrong with how big his beard is. So I want to make sure I'm clean shaven so that I can be more amorphous with my my gender identity. Please, and get away please with don't it. say that. And by the way, everyone hit the share button trying to break Facebook again. There's only 10 shares. 110 people on there. We know that Facebook is going to start blocking us, but do everything you can to become an advocate for what we're doing and what we're saying. Um, I, I want to uh, say, Max, you, you do look like Max Jr. I would like you to go get your go get your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I look like my other son, Michael, too. Um, so op it's Open Line Friday. Uh, Lauren wasn't on the show for as long as we had originally thought, but that's okay. 888-441-1121 is our number. You want to call in, talk about any of the stories of the week, anything that's on your mind, we can talk about it. Um, we had a lot of really interesting stuff going on. Um, they, they're introducing a magazine. They introduced that yesterday, a magazine ban bill to ban any magazine in the country that holds more than 10 rounds of ammunition. That constitutional amendment they introduced yesterday to abolish the Electoral College, 
when we talk about the packing I mean, of the Supreme Court, anything you want to talk about, 888-441-1121. You can't, um, and I have a story to tell you because I had this conversation this morning um, with one of uh, one of my colleagues, and it was an interesting conversation. He's a, a semi-liberal-ish, not libertarian conservative, right? So um, he sits right in the middle, and we were talking about um, this show, and he goes, Joe, I don't, I don't agree with some of the things that you say on there. And I said, okay, tell me, tell me what you don't agree with. And he said, well, people in my family are Democrats. And you said that, you know, that, well, and I said, well, I did not say all Democrats were pedophiles, rapists, and closet racists. I said, you're either complicit in the behavior or you are that, right? Being a Democrat, if you're a part of this establishment, because we're seeing a lot of things come across the table, right? We're seeing the, the bill for, we're, we're seeing the, um, hey, let's abolish the electoral college. Let's get rid of your gun rights. Let's pack the courts. Let's uh, have free and open elections where people from all over the world can come in and vote. Uh, let's have a kangaroo court. So we are, we are in the middle of all of these things. And, and, and what I said to him is no one that is an American could actually stand up and say that they could, they could represent or support any of the Democrat policies. You just can't. And he goes, well, Joe, I just have a hard time with it. And some people do. Um, so my wife has a hard time with it. She's like, Joe, you lose me when you say that because my mom is a Democrat. And I'm like, okay, well, your mom's crazy too. Now that's my opinion, right? But I don't think anyone has a mother-in-law that they don't think she's a little bit nuts. But as I, as I walk through it, I, I understand the concept because I have conversations with other Democrat friends. But let's actually take a, take a step back for a minute and understand the concept behind what I said versus what the loony left says and why, frankly, I'm going to be that harsh. I'm going to come out that harshly with truth. One, they say all white people are racist and we have white privilege and everything else. I know plenty of white people in the South who are dirt poor that will never see the outside of being dirt poor because the socioeconomic environment around them will never allow them to have an opportunity, right? But that's their privilege of being white. This is why those stigmatisms and things that they try to put on the indictment of characters that, oh, we're all racist. You're all racist people, right? When that only applies to a very small percentage of the actual population across the country, right? And the actual people that are the racists are the ones that are actually calling everyone else racist. And if I'm wrong, then why do they stand up on the Democrat side, the Democrat side, and say the things that they say that adversely affect our society? And why does everything they touch turn to crap? Why, are, why is everything that a Democrat touches degrade itself, fall apart, lose integrity, find corrupt? And if you say that, well, there are stuff that, that isn't that way, then t give me an example going less than an inch deep. Give me an example. Will you feed the homeless? No, you don't, actually. You don't feed the homeless. Actually, nonprofits and organizations of faith spend most of their money, time, and effort supporting organizations that feed the homeless, right? Well, we, we take care of mental health. Well, you don't do that either as Democrats because, frankly, you've relegated, Democrat, or relegated those with mental health issues to the homeless, right? And if, that, if you were actually doing anything to build facilities and help them instead of talking about freedom and just hey, listen, just go smoke marijuana and do drugs and do all these things. And here's a heroin shoot up station so you can do it safely so you can save your life after you're pushing that poison into yourself. If, if you actually wanted to do something to help the people instead of hurt the people and create slavery inside of our society, then it would show, it would manifest. We wouldn't see all of the things degrade and fall apart across the country in every single Democrat controlled environment. 
So I'm not going to stop talking about Democrats being that. I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm going to back down from that. But I do want to I do want to say this one thing, and that is it doesn't mean that I don't have Democrat friends, but I challenge them every day the same way with truth, by the way, I, I challenge them with truth the same way their rhetoric, lies, and indoctrination are thrust upon us. And because we have a conscience, we're supposed to just take it. We're supposed to say, but I'm not racist. There might be racist, but I'm not. No, it is a tool of control. It is a tool to manipulate. And it is a tool to degrade and destroy everything that is good about our society by dividing us individually and collectively. So the, the issue I have is that is that just sometimes it it seems to come out with too broad of a brush. Which might not be your intention. It might just be how it is. It is my intention. It. it is my intention. It is um, my intention. It, too broad it, of a brush. I mean, you you ask what is good about the Democrat platform. It, it's hard because in the last four years, even things that Trump has adopted from a Democrat platform, the Democrats all of a sudden turned against because they just were against anything Trump was for. Right. Right. You look historically. I line up more with the Democrat side than the Republican side when it comes to trade issues. When it comes to protecting workers workers from having their jobs chipped overseas, right? The Republican Party is the party of H-1B visas. They are the party of, that's uh, not true. of that's big not true. business. Yeah, that, yeah they that's are. That's not true. That's not they true. They are. That's not true. That's that's absolutely not true. They're, They're not? No, that's not bill, true. The bill to expand H-1B visas is written by a Republican. Yeah. That's, that's just one trying to get to. No, so like under, Democrats, under, that's, historically, that's, that's absolutely not true. That's not true because the lobbyist groups that are actually works with the Republicans that actually represented and sanctioned that bill were the same ones that actually worked with the Democrats, right? It was a bipartisan, yeah, well, they it was a bipartisan attempt. It was a bipartisan attempt to bring something to the table that helped ease some of the pressures that existed uh, 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 upon all industries across the United States, period, from agricultural all the way up to tech. And I studied it because I'm, I was in the tech world. I'm in the tech world and I understand it. So just because a Republican brings it forward does not mean it wasn't a bipartisan effort in order to expand those oh, to it, give it relief and pressure. Yeah. Okay. So not saying that it's, yeah, it's, it's not H1B is not a Republican thing. It's more, right? it's more of a Republican thing than it is a Democrat thing. I, Republicans are more the party of the Chamber of Commerce than the Democrats are. The Chamber of Commerce works with both parties like most big businesses do. So you right? think the but Chamber the of Commerce, the wait, hold on. you think the Chamber of Commerce is a Republican? environment? I think that when you look for, at the Chamber of Commerce, when you look at things like Club for Growth, when you look at that establishment, not just like, I'm not talking about Wall Street, I'm not talking about Silicon Valley, but I mean, established business interests. The Chamber of yes, Commerce more stood often up. than not, they have lined up the Chamber of Commerce on the Republican side, Republican side. And combined efforts with labor unions in order to get Trump removed from office. That is not a yes, Republican. That, deal, that's true. Right? So they that are not a Republican. So again, so, this wolf in sheep's clothing or this humphalump in in uh, sheep clothing, whatever you want to call it, right? Hump a lump in a, in a sunshine costume. I don't, that, I don't know that, what that means. In other words, they, just because they say that they represent something doesn't mean that they actually do, right? As you get deeper into economic policy, which I'm very, very inept with, I, I understand most economic policy on both sides, Democrat and Republican, mm -hmm. because it affects every time that I hire someone, where I can hire someone from, what the penalties are for hiring someone that may be an overseas asset, and whether or not I even need that. Right. So by saying that H1B is a Republican thing, it's just not right. So I, I just want to it, it overwhelmingly really is more Republican than Democrat. It overwhelmingly is. It overwhelmingly okay. is. Now, Democrats might sign on to it. Right. And just because the Chamber of Commerce tried to get Donald Trump removed from office, so did Paul Ryan. Right. So did establishment Republicans. So whether or not someone supports the president isn't really a good gauge of whether they're Republican anymore or not. Right. You, yeah. you look at Mac. big business. <laughs> I, I read these policies all the time. And again, I'll just let, the, let, let this dog lie. We can let this dog lie. 
But when, no, when you I asked have to go me to just talk about a Democrat policy that I line up more with than with a Republican, I'm talking about issues like trade, issues like H-1B visas, issues like what you should give away to big business. Now, I don't agree with the tax increases by any, in any way, shape or form. Right. But Republicans, when I, I mentioned this to Lauren Boebert, when Republicans are going to the table and negotiating with Democrats, there's two things that they usually come away with. And that's increases in military spending and protections for biz, big business. When when everything's on the line, they say you can only have a couple things. Those are the two things that the Republican Party tends to walk away from that table with. Now, sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. But those seems to be the two focuses. You look at you look at Donald Trump's accomplishments in Congress, his first his, his only term. Um, it was tax reform. Tax reform was driven by by organizations like Club for Growth. Right. So there is absolutely an entrenched part of establishment Republican politics that is pro big business, pro big special interests for business. And that's the part I'm, I'm off. Right. I want to protect American workers. And now, obviously, Democrats want open borders. So I'm off. I'm out of that. Right. But when you, when you talk about who is doing more to I mean, look, at Republicans helped usher through NAFTA. Right. I mean, the Republican Party, it's not innocent in what they've done to American jobs in any way, shape or form. And whether or not it's it's orthodoxy in the Democrat Party today, it likely isn't because they changed for Trump. But historically, Democrats have been more interested in protecting American workers from losing their jobs, especially jobs overseas. No, but but, it, but again, I'm going to let dogs lie, because for this, this is this is some of the things that I have to actually work on on a normalized basis. I'm in multiple industries and we have we have employees across the board. Right. So I, I don't I. I know what you're saying is not accurate in the fundamentals of how it actually operates on the Republican and Democrat side. And I think they're both sides are complicit and breaking down the constructs of opportunity for people inside of society. I get that. Right. But I don't believe that the trade agreements that allow for China for our jobs, for our you can't say you're for jobs and then say it's OK to ship everything overseas. And that has predominantly come by Democrats trying to lower tariffs, make it easier for them to actually compete here. And that's not what the Republicans stand for. And frankly, historically, that, that's historically Democrats have been have been for tariffs historically, like not under Trump, but historically they have. It's the Republicans who have been free trade, like free trade. They want free trade agreements, even if it means shipping jobs overseas. Right. You, you look at NAFTA, obviously, Obama, it's been changing. It is amorphous in the idea that the winds change in American politics. But historically, Democrats have been the ones who do not want low tariffs. They want high tariffs to protect American workers, in part because they have the unions on their side. Yeah, right? but, but the so unions actually don't care. The unions don't care about the American worker either at all. The unions just care about the union dues and maintaining power and authority inside of our social sure. inside of our economic system. So and, and again, I. I look at causation. I look at symptoms, right? Triggers and symptoms and things that actually push to what the real problems are in our society. And because I'm a math guy and I think about what the math equation is, I think the reason why Republicans may change, they may change their views on, say, tariffs. They may change their views on the H-1B status and things like that. Has to do with pressures on companies that offer opportunities here and they start getting to the actual problem. They're looking at the underneath, the underbelly and saying, look, it doesn't make sense for us to ship jobs over there. We're actually weakening our structure in our country, right? And, and so they have to make decisions based upon what the data tells them. I don't believe Democrats change based on data. I think they make up the data, right? So, yeah. you know, the tariffs that, that, that uh, Trump put on on let's let's say the cheese industry out of France or the wine industry, 
you know, those were big hits to certain restaurants. They figured, oh, now I have to pay double for that particular product, right? Or maybe it shut down our ability to have those imports brought into the United States, but it bolstered and strengthened the community, the, the, the uh, economic situation of communities and businesses inside of our own four walls of our country, right? So again, I, I'm not gonna defend Republicans. We've had this conversation more than a few times where I say, look, they're left Republicans. These, these people don't actually care about the people. And we need to probably create a, you know, uh, Dan Holloway over at, uh, at um, what is it? Uh, Drinking Bros podcast, pretty crude broad podcast, but he's an amazing guy. He said, you know, all, all politicians suck. <laughs> and I would say that that probably happens with 90% of them because they don't, they, they don't represent our interests. They don't do what Lauren Boebert does. They don't go back into the community and talk to mayors and, and town council members and things like that and say, what do you need in different industries? Um, they walk over and say, hey, lobbyist, all right, uh, okay, tell me which way the wind blows. Where should I be going right now? And then they, they collude with other people and become complicit and compromised in that environment because they want to be reelected in two years. So, so, so look, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with any of the policies of the Democrat platform because you don't know what the policies are. Like we, we don't want to stack the court five years later. They want to stack the court. Uh, you know, we don't want to you probably, I think you probably line up more with them for, for criminal justice reform than 100%. historically the Republicans. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, but, but that's, and, and I, and I think it, but again, like, like everything on the Democrat side, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason why they actually believe or do the things that they do, right? It, 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 there's always another thing that they're looking at when they're trying to say that they're protecting one thing. They're really just trying to destroy or gain control of something else, right? Saying that, hey, well, let's abolish police. Let's get rid of prisons. You know, what do you do with evil? Do you just keep it? I mean, it's like the same thing that the Democrats did historically with the mental health issues. They closed down the hospitals, closed down those, said, hey, it's a rights issue. They relegated those people to the street. Now they're starving and or high on drugs, now committing crimes against people in our society. Same thing could go for the open borders. We talk about open borders and the fact that these illegals are coming across the border. Now I'm all for opportunity for people, but we should also then examine what the, the immigration policies and processes are and whether or not they're broken and or give people adequate opportunities to even come to the United States. So I look at it from a sensibility standpoint, I don't think the Democrats even know what sensibility means, right? So so that's my, yeah. All, all I'm trying to point to is that the, the reason I don't like painting with the broad brush is because there's a lot of things Republicans right. are wrong on, establishment Republicans. Republicans. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Donald Trump busted through that mold and in a lot of ways, he, he I mean, they, they were talking about it. the the club for growth. People wanted Donald Trump to lose the nomination because he yeah. said he was too far to the left. Right. They said he couldn't be trusted. So right. I don't paint with a broad brush because there's a lot of positions, especially when it comes to business issues, when it comes to criminal justice reform. Uh, I, I'm more libertarian than Republican, without a doubt. And on those issues, you tend to line up more with Democrats than establishment. Republicans. So we do have a caller on the line, Mr. Brewster. Why don't you, why don't you put her through? Who are we talking to? Hi, Hello? this is Micah. Hi, Micah. How are you? Doing That's a, well. That is a very, very familiar voice I'm hearing on this podcast. That's so why I didn't say who was on the line. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So for, for all the years, this is my daughter, Micah. She listens to um, our podcast every day. Some of you get to interact with her on a regular basis. She is 100% um, committed to preserving um, our rights and, and uh, 
our country under the Constitution. So it's uh, and she's and she's young and but I've always told her to do one thing. What would that one thing be, Micah? That would be think for yourself. Right. hundred percent. So what's your comment today? What do you want to add to this? Well, uh, I love your guys' discussion because I think it's always good how you guys challenge each other and it brings attention to the little details. But I wanted to call in today for maybe you guys to give a little bit of hope to my generation. Because right now we're seeing a lot of not so great things happen. And there's a lot of people out there my age who are getting involved. So what hope do you guys see in the future? And what are the good things that are going on right now? There, there's no good things happening right now. And the whole world's going to burn to the ground. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, she knows that she knows that I'm I'm being um, being funny about this just a little bit. But I think that one of the things that your generation, Micah, is taught is to stay in your lane. Right. In other words, do what we say. Do not put your head up. We will lob it off. Well, you know, you're, they're 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 almost conditioning this bullying into, ooh, we got to be more quiet. So there's a lot of hope in the future, but the the future actually lies with the young people today. It lies with your generation um, and probably the generation just just uh, behind you because it took us many years to get here. It's gonna take us many years to get out of it. But having a voice and standing up and feeling as if, hey, you don't have to wait. You don't have to just go to work nine to five, keep your head down. You can get involved. I know you have gotten involved. But ha- being a ambassador collectively together, getting together, having those conversations, and then joining organizations that bring down the median age of um, of the the groups that are out there that are fighting for freedom, that are fighting for the Constitution. If that happens, look, the the future will be very very bright. But I think that the it's going to take your generation um, and young people under the age of thirty um, being a better example than the geriatric. Uh, uh, you know, dimwit we have in the in the Oval Office right now. So I'm not as I'm not as optimistic about Gen Z. Um, when you look at by the numbers, they're less likely to go to church. They're less likely to settle down and actually get married and have a family. Um, they're less likely to start a business. Uh, obviously, it's it's still young. It's it, it's it, they're Gen Z. I'm just looking at it. Tops out today would be 26 years old, the oldest Gen Zer. Um, I, I'm not as optimistic because the early data that we have does not suggest that they will be taking positions and taking stances in life that would lend themselves to developing a conservative mindset, right? So if they're less likely to start a business, they're less likely to see what the tax structure looks like. And they're less likely to understand how burdensome that is. If they're less likely to go to church. They're less likely to become pro-life. They're less likely to to have to hold religious um, positions on, on different issues, right? Less likely to get married, less likely to have kids, less likely to, to have a family and understand what it means to preserve the country for the next generation coming up. So I'm not as optimistic about your generation. The one thing I am optimistic about is that every generation has a counterculture. You had the hippies, right? Going against the grain. With your generation, one of the countercultures is actually being on the right because... <laughs> Society itself it has swung so much further to the left. So there is a counterculture in your generation that is against unlimited genders, a whole spectrum, right? That, that's against the, the, the police who are policing thought and policing language. That is what I am enthusiastic about. Now, if there's enough of them, I don't know if there's enough of them to swing the tide, but there were enough hippies back in the day to, to affect politics. Hopefully, there's enough countercultural Republicans in your generation or conservatives in your generation to move the needle. 
Are you there, Micah? I mean, I'm here. All right. I'm still here. I think that you both have valid points, but Matt, I think there's a lot more conservatives in my generation than people give credit for. Oh, there might be. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt it. They're just not. They're not in the polls at all. Well, they're not, they're not in the polls. And this is the problem that I have with the polls is that the polls aren't representative of what's really happening in our country and what's happening in our society. You usually take a, a, you know, a group of the same people that you ask the same questions to. They can manipulate those polls to actually push the direction or sentiment that they, they want the public to feel one way or another. But, you know, I'm actually closer to it. So I, I, get, to, I get to see my daughter and see young people. I sat in a, um, I took a, a bunch of kids uh, between the age of 16 and 18 I took them to the gun store or the gun range and we shot an automatic weapon, right? So there was probably, I think, I want to say there was probably 12 to 15 of them there. Yep. And um, 14 guys there and kids there. And one of them said, well, I'm more liberal. And he still shot the machine gun, had a good time. And then the other um, 13 of those kids that went to the gun store, some of them were uncomfortable with it, but had a dinner with them, got to spend a little time with them and talk to them about why these rights are so important. And every one of those kids walked away with this feeling that, hey, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know the Second Amendment was that people fought and died for it. These are kids that are going to high school. So I think it's our job, the older generation, it's our job to be a better example and to, to spout truth. It's also our job to make sure that there's a fundamental value of faith in what we do. It's our fault when kids don't have a foundation of God. It's our fault. We allow our society to go that direction. We allow our schools to go that direction. And we push kids to basically wonder, like, what is life all about? Which is why you have higher suicide rates, you have higher, um, you know, drug use rates. I mean, I, th I think they're just searching for uh, a compass to, to point them at true north. And, and so, I, I, you know, I think that, Micah, your generation is an exciting generation because there's so much that can happen if you knew it could happen. There's so many people that actually stand on the left-hand side of the, of the aisle because they think it's the most popular, not because they think it's right, but because they just think it's popular not recognizing that, you know, courage is more infectious than fear. And if they speak up and, and move towards that, that other people will follow. Yeah. I, I don't, the polling is always weird, but when you look at it, it, it does say some pretty, it, may, it makes me nervous. Some of the polling and it's not a perfect science, but in generalities, when there's huge discrepancies, it's more likely to be relatively correct than completely inaccurate. So we know that among Gen Z, even Gen Z Republicans are more likely to believe that climate change is entirely man-made, right? Gen Z Republicans are more likely than their other counterparts and other generations to believe that same-sex marriage is beneficial to society. Not even just saying that you can do whatever you want to do, but that having more same-sex marriage makes the country better, right? And Gen Z Republicans are more likely to support reparations for African Americans for how they've been treated. So I, I get nervous because even people who say that they identify as Republicans, they're taking a lot of positions that to me just seem like they're anathema. And I can understand being worried about the polls, but I'm telling you, a lot of my friends who are conservative, they wouldn't come 10 feet from a poll. They know that everything is being tracked one way or another, and they're not going to be vocal about it. And I agree there needs to be leaders in the community, but polls like anything else are for sheep. Yeah, they are. And I think that well, the concern is when they line up really pretty accurately with exit polling. And that's not just calling up. That's people actually walking out to vote. So maybe there are more conservatives who aren't voting. Um, I just get very concerned when I see it. 
Yeah. So, Ma- Micah, thank you for calling. I do appreciate it. I love you, Princess, and I will definitely see you this you weekend. All right. Bye. Always good having my daughter call up. She is a um, a cyber engineer for a big defense contractor and um, has done some great things. And, uh, you know, she still speaks up. And one of the things that's really interesting about her is that she was having a conversation with her boss. I believe it was a review and her view was going really well. And she wanted to feel around the edges. She's starting to be curious as to whether or not people in her profession are conservatives or they are liberals. And she just decided to take a chance. She decided to be have a little bit of courage and to talk to her boss about guns. <laughs> she goes, well, I have my concealed carry. And he's like, so do I. And I think their conversation just, and he goes, well, I'm a, she goes, and I'm a conservative Christian. And he was like, he took a swallow, I think. I don't want to put the, the whole deal. And he goes, so am I. But it, it created an environment where that would never be something that they could have ever talked about before. So there are a lot of people out there that just are not comfortable being exposed because of the doxing and hatefulness and bullying that occurs. I believe that the silent majority are Christian conservatives in this nation. And I believe that the upcoming generations are seeing it. They are smart and they are recognizing that, hey, look, we got to fortify, right? We got to stand together. And, you know, Micah is having meetings and conversations with young people that are her age. She's 24 that are your age that are talking about these things and saying, how do we, how do we become the generation that, that infiltrates and takes over this radicalness that we're actually dealing with right now? So while we do it on the surface, they're doing it behind the scenes and they're doing it on the surface, being an example for even generations to come. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that they're there. I, and obviously your daughter's an exception. I hope that they're there. I just get really nervous because as wrong as the polls can be, marriage rates really don't lie because that's publicly available information. We know fewer people of that generation are getting married, starting a family, settling down, which makes it less likely for them to adopt conservative opinions just by way of going through life. We know that church enrollment, CCD enrollment, Sunday school enrollment, right, for younger people is much lower. So maybe they all identify as Christians and they and they don't go to church. I hope, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of other indicators that make me very, very nervous. Your daughter's the exception, but it makes me very, very nervous she, about where this generation is going to shake out. She, she's actually not the exception. And I think that that's the, you know, again, I get to in, interact with kids all the time today, all the time, right? And I think that there's a ton of people, there is a ton of people out there that we are marginalizing through this process by creating some sort of idea that they are the pink unicorn. They are not the pink unicorn, but they're being treated as if they are, that they're the anomaly. They're not the anomaly, right? And my daughter is, you know, I've, I've always taught her to think for yourself. I told her, look, if you come out and you have liberal views, but you think for yourself, I will accept it. If you do the research and you do the hard work, I will accept it. I will accept it. But you can't. You cannot have these radical views and do the work. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible, even if you have no faith in God, it is impossible to adapt these radical views of the left if you just do the work, if you actually do just a little bit of research on where all the problems and uh, uh, you know pandemic level societal issues that we deal with, they come out of the Democrat Party and these radical ideas across not just this country, but across the globe. 
Yeah. I mean, this, this can be an agree to disagree moment. I just, one in six Gen Zers identify as LGBT. Like it's, that's a huge number that, that is like, it's not, uh, that's not a small number. That is a huge change. And, and when you start off with that, uh, hopefully that they, they do whatever, I'll do whatever you want. But, um, one in six identifying a huge jump in, in, in Gen Zers identifying as transgender, v- troubling for how that generation is going to shake, uh, turn out politically not starting. I mean, obviously younger kids are more liberal than they are when they retire. That's the truth across all generations. This generation is just starting off a little bit more liberal than the other. So we do have another person on the phone. We have Jeremy on the phone. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Thanks for calling in. What do you want to talk about? Good to talk with you guys. Been listening for a while. Appreciate uh, everything that you guys do for the conservative movement and just common sense in general. I just had a couple points, if I could. Uh, the first one, kind of a Reagan common sense approach, uh, trust but verify. You know, whenever we vote, we assume that our vote is counted, but is it counted for the candidate that, that we wanted? Is there any way that we could maybe address that issue or concern where we can actually verify that our vote was counted and counted correctly, almost where did we fall in queue, in a sense. And I don't know if that would be constitutional, you know, being that our votes are supposed to be anonymous, but it well, seemed like that would uh, give people that are not wanting to vote because they feel like their vote isn't counted maybe some assurances that that it went through. Yeah, yeah. so I think that, and, and again, this is just the technology guy in me that's talking now. There is a way to validate back to the information, a way to go back and validate that that vote um, by using blockchain technology to secure it all the way through the process. And then at the end of the process, the end of the process, like as it goes to Edison, as it is actually pushed out to the places where it can actually record those votes to the public, that at that moment, it sends back a verification to you that says, this is where your vote was. I think anywhere else along the line, can be manipulated after they tell you that, hey, we, we counted your vote, right? So by, by, by doing that, by creating a, a, a long line of code that is that it's converted into, um, you could literally make sure that, hey, it might be anonymous to someone else, but not anonymous to you, right? So in other words, you get the ability to verify that at the end of the transaction. And I think that if we, if we did that, people would feel as if, they had the right uh, that that they could have confidence in the system. Right now, the system is just it's it's a joke. The election system is a joke. It's a joke. It's it's absolutely laughable what we're dealing with, and it's embarrassing. It's it's worse than almost. You'd be better off. You would have a better chance of having a correct voting environment in the middle of the Antarctica, which is not a country than you would by having a fair and free election in the United States today. It, it seems to me like it's just common sense. Like it would give a digital fingerprint, if you yeah. will, uh, for, for each voter. Uh, has there been any legislation to go through for either QR code or uh, what you were talking about yeah, so for, Q- for voting purposes? So the Ethereum uh, chain, right? Using Ethereum, using uh, uh, Bitcoin, technology, blockchain technology in order to return it. That that those companies are out there. There are companies out there that are currently doing that now. 
right? That that have that capability. Um, when you talk about talking about a QR code, they use QR codes now. Those QR codes can be manipulated because the QR code could be different than what you actually voted, right? So you could they, they can manipulate a QR code. You can't see it, right? Where in the gotcha. Ethereum deal, where you're using blockchain technology in order to get an output, if you changed one letter, one number, one anything, it would record that change, right? So there's a tracked record. Show it's corrupted then. Right, because you can only repeat that piece of the blockchain once, right? So th this is where you talk about Bitcoin, and probably getting a little bit into the cryptocurrencies. When you talk about that, there's only a certain number of, unless you're talking about what I call shitcoin or the other part of Bitcoin, uh -oh, write that down. Um, and that is, uh, there's only a certain number of them made, which is what actually creates that, that value, right? It creates the, why Bitcoin is, whatever it is, 61, 62,000. It's because they, they hit a ceiling on how many of those coins they can actually build based on that code. And each one of those coins is actually generated through code, right? Through that information. Well, the same thing can be said for how you could build out blockchain and individually be attached to you as an individual. You could make that chain of who you voted for be encrypted very easily and make sure that no one else could get access to that information other than you and to make sure that, that information could never be uh, substantially changed or altered. To me, it seems like common sense, like that's the only way we can go with our voting. Then we could do uh, remote voting with, with, with still having the same security. It's either that or we do paper ballots with signatures and, and maybe some type of fingerprint. I mean, I don't know. I'm okay with that, that too. Far, but, I'm okay with that too. You know, either I, way. I'm okay with anything that preserves the integrity of the voice of the American people, right? That's what Absolutely. I'm okay with. I mean, if and if we is did, is there anybody pushing for legislation to to kind of promote that that idea? No, no. Probably. Right now, we are only talking about surface changes, right? We are, you know, the Maricopa County um, uh, election uh, audit that is being done will actually shed light, a lot of light, on what is really happening within these within these election machines, and that's one part of it. But gotcha. the, the and so that will push us to get rid of Dominion, get rid of ESNS, get rid of Smartmatic, get back to a place where private equity firms and politically biased firms are not actually manipulating or influencing an election and making money doing it on the voice of the American people. But no one so is we're, out there. We're in a position where we have to expose the fraud fully first before people prioritize the security side of it. Right. Well, we, and, you, and you saw what just happened, right? You saw what just happened in um, Michigan where Matt DiPerno came out, there's an entire study that was done and that study, excuse me, report was done. And in that report, they actually found inside of the equipment, a modem that was soldered onto the actual circuit board inside of the computer, right? That happened. But did you hear anything about it in the media? Were they even talking about it at all? Did they even, even remotely talk about that to the general public? The public doesn't even know. I bet you that less than 5% of the public knows that that actually uh, happened last week. No, they were all told that they weren't connected to the internet, so there could be no fraud. So right, and then you had you had Dominion, which came out, and they they actually did a uh, Dominion um, did an interview. You know, the CEO of Dominion did an interview, and in that interview, he said, "Hey, you know, we're standing up for, and they don't get to tell people that we're a fraudulent deal." Um, but as you get <laughs> as you get further down the rabbit hole, you know, there was there was a, a article that was the big lies versus big lawsuits, why Dominion Voting is suing Fox News and the host of Trump allies, right? This was written on April 2nd. 
But now that all this stuff came out in the fifth through the seventh, guess who's quiet now? Guess who's not talking now? Guess who's, guess who's saying, staying mum now? Because they realize that the gig is up and there, there's a certain amount of doubling down that has to occur because there's criminality behind what has happened in our election system. So the further we get down this path, we can lose, we can lose, we lose confidence in our elected officials. We lose confidence in the system. We lose confidence in these, these behemoth companies that represent, you know, foreign interests, number one, and two, corrupted or, um, uh, you know, compromised interests inside the U.S. So, but we, we, we face a big problem in our country if we don't get to the next level after we're done here. And that next level is how do we actually now fortify the election? How do we find legislation where that these election systems are run in a way that you can have confidence in? And if that means you put your finger in a pan of ink and you do it by paper, so be it. I think that's a great way to go. Absolutely. I uh, just had one other point. Um, you know, our, our constitution is, is less than 5,000 words total, but we're, we're passing these bills and legislation through that are 5,000 pages. And mm -hmm. obviously the, the people can't read them, you know, and I voted for Lauren Boyd, but she's in my district, um, or I'm in her district, but it'd be a good conversation to have, I guess, to, to maybe push for bills that are, that are less words than our constitution. It seems to me like that would just be common sense. And I know these are kind of big picture and what we don't really have the power to change these things, but no, we do. It just seems so obviously fraudulent to, uh, to have these massive bills, these massive pork bills going through that are just fleecing the American people of their money and, and depriving us of, of rights and say, you know, if they can render these bills down, then maybe they would have to separate some of these bills for different spending purposes. And then that would put people on the record that have to vote for this or that yes or no, instead of a conglomerate where they can justify using a yes, even though it's full of pork or it's full of fraud. Yeah. I mean, not just reducing the number of words, changing how bills are written. Bills aren't written in a way that most of us can understand, right? The majority of these big bills include provisions that say, okay, we're going to strike a word from an amendment that changed another amendment. So you have to actually do a, a deep dive into the U.S. code to figure out, well, what are you changing? You're, you're, you're striking and and replacing it with or. Well, that one word can have a disastrous consequence and they hide it in there so you can't even see it. So yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's why I, I support anyone in the Republican Party who stands up there like we, like we saw with the stimulus package and forces them to read the entire bill. It took them over a day to read the entire bill because it was that long. So yeah, if they're not going to make them shorter, they should absolutely be forced to actually read them and actually listen to them. Um, I would I would wholeheartedly support that. So my, my question to you, or my, my, my uh, recommendation to you, or, or is for you to get involved. You're intelligent, you talk common in common sense, language people will probably follow you because you you center everything you do on the integrity of the process the system and and these are things that people aren't thinking about they're not talking about hey, the constitution is less than 5000 words why are we have 5000 page bills these are things that can resonate with people in your community so run for office start there and become another effective and effectual voice inside of your community. And if we just have more people like you, more people like Lauren, more people that are actually actively participating in the process, then we, there is a lot of hope and the kids will start seeing that hope rather than what they're seeing now. 
good advice. All right. Uh, just just one more yeah. point, real quick. Uh, you guys mentioned sure. that there was the Gen Zers were were one in six L, LGBTQ or whatever the acronym is. Um, and I then I remember a few years back, and I don't remember if that was you guys that, that reported on this or if it was uh, one of the other shows, but they did a liberal university study on the behaviors of, of how kids, either, either you're born with it or it's a learned behavior. And they, they isolated two different groups of kids. And through that study, they actually proved their theory wrong. They proved that this was a learned behavior right. instead of a genetic predisposition well that's what they're and doing all now. of a sudden it seemed like that that study got buried so yeah i can't remember which yeah. which school did it i don't know if it was stanford or, or which one but it'd be nice to bring that up and kind of bring that back to the surface oh yeah I, I don't doubt that at all and why is that happening well you look at schools you look at the teachers in these schools they overwhelmingly lean to the left right so there's absolutely that element in there as well well we're going up against a hard break so we gotta let hey, you go but thank calling. you so much for calling into the show, Jeremy. Really do appreciate it. So on the other side of the break, we're going to keep taking your calls. 888-441-1121 is our number. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Ronald Reagan famously said that our freedoms are never more than a generation away from extinction. Conservative Daily exists to make sure that never happens. With our community of 700,000 members, we fight every day to hold Congress's feet to the fire and stop them from surrendering our rights and freedoms. The fight to take this country back is not over. Please join our movement right now by going to conservative-daily.com and clicking the subscribe button to sign up for our free call to action newsletters. We have a chance to save this country, but only if we all work together. Again, this is conservative-daily.com don't forget to hit the subscribe button at the top. 